I'm Adnan Mahmutovic, and this is Love and His Discontents podcast. Today's special guest is my dear colleague, Alice Sundman. Uh, she has a PhD in English literature. She's currently a postdoc at the Department of English at Stockholm University. And um, she has written a, uh, her PhD was on Toni Morrison, uh, which was the basis of a book she published, uh, which is, uh, Alice, you can show it. There you go, Toni Morrison and the Writing of Place, which is an amazing book. Alice uh, was a, uh, just a stellar scholar and colleague, one of the best uh, that I've uh, met over, over the years. So I'm, uh, I'm really proud that uh, I'm so happy to have this uh, opportunity to, uh, to talk to you about Toni Morrison. You know, I've been wanting to... Um, uh, to record an episode on uh, Morrison uh, for quite a while, uh, and I mean, over the years I have uh, I have taught Morrison so many times uh, in uh, different courses. I've taught Beloved uh, for more than ten years in my course Love and His Discontents. Uh, it's one of my favorite books of all time. Toni Morrison has influenced me as, as a writer as well, as a thinker, as a, as a human being, you know. Uh, so, so it's, uh, she constantly kind of haunts my writing uh, in, in, in some way. Her presence is always there in, in, in some way or another. Uh, so I was uh, so hyped about this, uh, this conversation. So thank you so much for accepting this, Alice. Thank you for inviting me. Right, so, uh, Toni Morrison has written so much about love. Uh, what, where do we even begin to, uh, to talk about? Yep. Well, it's not really possible to talk about Toni Morrison without talking about her masterpiece, Beloved. Um, I'll show, the, show it to you. This is the uh, first edition of the novel and her picture on the backside. Yeah. Um, and it's not possible to talk about Beloved without talking about love. So that's where I would like to start, with Beloved. Please go ahead. Uh, tell us a little bit uh, about, if you can sum up the story very briefly uh, first for our, for our viewers, and then uh, you can tell us a little bit about, you know, what kinds of love she talks about, and then uh, we can kind of go deeply into it. Yeah, first, generally, her novels are very rich and complex. So when I summarize the plot or refer to events in the novel, it's impossible to do justice to the richness of her texts. So just keep this in mind. There's so much more to them. That said, I can say very briefly that, yeah, the, the novel Beloved, then, is about a former slave, Sethe, who killed one of her children and tried to kill the other three. She did this to prevent them from being sent back to slavery. And this is based on an actual person, Margaret Garner, whom Toni Morrison read about in a newspaper article. In the novel, Sethe and her daughter Denver live in a house, 124 Bluestone Road, in Cincinnati, Ohio. One day, a young woman appears. <coughs> Sethe and Denver, and the reader, at least I, think that, think that she is Sethe's dead child. The woman calls herself Beloved, and this is also the only word 
that is engraved in the dead child's tombstone. Um, the character Beloved is perhaps an example of the complexity of Morrison's writing. Uh, there's a critic, Anthony Helfer, he describes her writing as both and, not either or. And I, I would say the character Beloved is precisely both and. See, she's both a ghost and a real girl. She's both Seth's dead daughter and someone who was transported from Africa to America and potentially also a girl who was held captive by a man as a sex slave. So these various persons are not mutually ex exclusive. She is all of them. And also Morrison writes this complex and multifaceted story using a disrupted chronology, flashbacks to Seth's life in slavery, her escape, as well as lyrical passages displaying thoughts, feelings, memories from a slave ship, etc. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, thank a, you. No, that's, uh, that's, uh, that sums it up. So, uh, absolutely. I really like that you uh, try to, uh, to show it's Of course, it's, it's too complex to be summed up uh, yeah, easily, but uh, uh, those are like the main elements of it. And, uh, and in a sense, you cannot separate the lyrical style uh, from, uh, from the content. Uh, you cannot... Uh, separate the form from uh, from the content just as you say it's both end with the uh, with the girl uh, who is both a real uh, a real person and a ghost uh, and uh, whatever she is it's some, something and it's both and uh, something in between lots of things uh, so so it, it seems to me that the prose itself works that way uh, that there is the prose itself is is written in a way to to uh, in fact uh, give the uh, the reader this feeling of uh, everything being kind of uh, this uh, very thick uh, in 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 a way. We'll talk about that later. The prose itself. But tell us just a brief, like uh, what kinds of love that she uh, that she treats in this novel, and then we'll uh, look at each separately. Yes, there are various kinds of of love. This a mother's love for the daughter she killed because she wanted to prevent her from living a life in slavery, if we can call this love. Um, there's the love between Setha and Paul D. Paul D is also a former slave from the same farm Setha escaped from, and they knew each other in their youth. Um, there's, I think, Paul D's love for the landscape through which he is traveling. And there's also the question of having the capacity to love, your, love yourself. And then I think we could also reflect on uh, the author, Tommy Morrison's love for her characters and for the people whose experiences she writes into literary history through her work. I would like to reflect a bit on the inspiration for the novel and how Morrison has disguised this. It is well known that the idea first came to her when she was compiling material for the Black Book. And I have that book here as well. This is the Black Book. Uh, it could be described as a scrapbook. It's a compilation of uh, newspaper articles, drawings, ads, etc. I'm just trying to show 
show you some of the content of it here. Um, and it's, uh, it, it, like, it documents moments from, from African-American history. It's edited by Middleton A. Harris. Um, Morrison did compiled material for it, and uh, this is a new edition, and this has Morrison's name on it, uh, forward and preface by Toni Morrison, the first edition didn't have that. Um, her name wasn't on it. Um, while working on this, Morrison found a newspaper article about the escaped slave Margaret Garner, who killed one of her children and tried to kill the other three to prevent them from being sent, being sent back to slavery. And Beloved is based on this. Uh, Morrison has written about this in a collection of essays, The Origin of Others, which I also have here. <laughs> it's a, this is from 2017. Nice little book. Um, and here she describes the character Beloved as, and I quote, um, the prime motivator, the reason for the novel's existence. That's end of quote. Um, and regarding the ethical question, she writes, and this is another quote, the only one with the unquestionable right to judge was the dead child herself. That was Morrison. So Morrison doesn't condemn Seth's act. Instead, she tries to understand. She wants to explore the background on the infanticide and its consequences. So there's, there's no sentimentalizing or justifying the killing either. And to me, this shows the author, Toni Morrison's love for the character Seth and also for the real slave woman, Margaret Garner. She, she shows them respect by trying to understand without judging them and by trying to explore this immensely difficult ethical question of whether this was defensible. And I think this is a kind of love that Morrison shows for her characters in general. She, she tries to understand them without romanticizing them. She displays them in all their complexities with, with good as well as bad sides. And also I would say when she writes African-American life history and experiences into literary history, this is also an act of love, respect and care. Yeah, and that's uh, that's absolutely amazing because uh, it seems to me that uh, uh, that uh, this kind of uh, uh, horrible act uh, that no one can see as good in any way. I mean, no one can justify it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you need this kind of double consciousness where you at least try and understand where it comes from, what kind of history produces that. And that uh, the, the horrible thing, I suppose, uh, about it is that it is simultaneously uh, an act of love and, uh, and something quite... I will say evil, something quite, uh, you know, really, really bad. Uh, and, and to hold the two thoughts together uh, does something to the notion of love, you know, what we think love is and, uh, and how it is a driving force, right? Uh, how it is a force to 
Well, the, the very fact that, she, as you say, that she wants to understand what's going on here is an act of love. Right? That I, I, I want to see that I need to approach my characters with the deepest possible empathy, uh, not sympathy, not that I like this, but rather that I, I need to dig deep. Uh, and that's an act uh, of love. Uh, it's, it's that uh, all that which comes before judgment, uh, right? And I think we'll, we'll talk later about, you know, how, you know, different characters see her deed uh, in different ways. Of course, her, her other daughter, Denver Shields, she, she knows what she's done. She knows what Seth is doing to herself, right, throughout the novel. Uh, while both so so this kind of tough love uh well it's it's extremely tough love so it's almost like Morrison chose this extreme case deliberately because it puts our, us at um in a position where it's like uh it suspends us in so many ways and and we, and we have to uh think with both mind and heart, our bodies at the same time. I think it's it's quite remarkable uh, that thing. Yes, yes. And a question is: Can we even talk about Seth's act in terms of a mother's love for her daughter? It, it prevented her daughter from being sent to slavery and from living a life in slavery. But she also took her child's love from her uh, life. I mean, she took she took the life from. From her child, and um, the girl never had the opportunity to decide for herself whether her life was worth living or not. So, is this love or possessiveness control? The possessiveness is is one of love's discontents, and uh, uh, a literary critic, Jean Wyatt, has shown in, in that in Morrison's novels, possessiveness frequently destroys love. Hager's love for Milkman in Song of Solomon results in suicide. The passion between Sun and Jadine in Tar Baby is doomed for various reasons, one of them being the increasing possessiveness and violence in their relationship. And in, in this novel, in, in Beloved, Paul D. says to Seth that her love is too thick, to which Seth replies, love is or it ain't. Thin love ain't love at all. That's right. What does that and, mean, always? <laughs> yeah, what does it How mean? Love is sick? Why, why yeah. is it sick? <laughs> yeah, what, what, is, what is love when love is sick? I think here is, it, it is a kind of, maybe a love that is permeated by also possessiveness and also a really, really strong feeling that, yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't really explain what it, what it, what it is, and I, I'm not sure I really understand it. Seth herself says in 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 one passage, "My love was tough," and in relation to this, she defends her act, saying about her baby girl. She had to be safe, and I put her where she would be. So it's kind of like Seth knows what is best for her child, uh, although, of course, she cannot know that. That's right. Uh, I'm thinking uh, thickness 
because it, it immediately suggests materiality, you know, that something is material rather than uh, spiritual. Uh, so, so that kind of corresponds to the way Morrison works with materiality and not just uh, spirituality. So the, so the two kind of are one and the same. Uh, that the spirit is also materialized it's corporeal right uh, and uh, so th uh, so when we talk about spirit we would say thin like air you know it's I mean, we, air comes to mind when we talk about spirit right and spiritual love and the love as such is you can't really grasp it uh, but here you can actually touch it uh, yeah, which is yeah. really interesting right that's a really interesting reason. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and if you, uh, I'm thinking also the fact that you know water and and blood as uh, and and mother's milk that you know if we remember from the novel that she was uh, that the the rapist stole her milk so she couldn't feed her baby so that thickness of the material love is that the thickness of water the thickness of blood the thickness of the mother's milk I think is. Uh, uh, I mean, is in interesting in in many ways. Yes, definitely, definitely, yes. Yeah, and then there's also the question of violence. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. That's very closely related to 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 this thick love, at least in in Seth's case, because the killing, of course, is extreme violence, and and um, in her over as a whole. Love is frequently closely related to, to violence. We have uh, Joe Trace in jazz shooting his young lover in Sula. Eva Peace burns her son to death. That's also an act of love, very extreme. And in The Bluest Eye, Charlie Breedland rapes his daughter Picola. And Margaret in Tar Baby loves her son but burns him with cigarettes. Oh, I just <laughs> yeah, go go on. It's just uh, so much. You know, when you just start listing it, it's uh, you, you you get a sense that there is almost obsession with love and violence. And so please continue. Yeah. And there's a critic, a literary critic Terry Otten, who uses the expression "horrific love," and he points to how Morrison portrays love as shaped by social and historical circumstances. There's a history of slavery racism, both past and present, and there's, there are, of course, the individual circumstances in which the characters have lived. So again, she doesn't judge her characters, and she seems to say that in order for us to judge other people's decisions or actions, we need to know the context, and this includes the characters' individual lives as well as the social and historical circumstances that shape their lives and the kind of love they are capable of showing. There's, there's a passage in, in, in The Bluest Eye uh, in which she, yeah, she writes about, uh, let's see, where do I have that? <laughs> yeah, it's here. Um, she, she writes about how kinds of love depend on the person who loves. It's, this is right at the end, on the last page, and the, narrat the narrator is, is reflecting on the story, and she writes... Love is never any better than the lover. Wicked people love wickedly. Violent people love violently. Weak people love weakly. Stupid people love stupidly. 
Uh, that's amazing. How about that? <laughs> well, uh, uh, there's uh, uh, all all these are kind of negative. The wicked people, the violent people, the weak people, the stupid people. Uh, uh, so she doesn't mention any positive. <laughs> I, I, it's just uh, yeah, I'm, I'm struck by. Uh, the least here, uh, the wicked, the violent, the weak, the stupid. Uh, it's almost like, yeah, it's the same bunch. Uh, so, oh, as a big, I mean, so she doesn't even, um, she, she, the, the good, the good, the, the, the smart, the strong, the, uh, uh, what's the opposite of violent, the, the gentle, um, uh, they are kind of there by omission or... Yeah. Yeah. Still, their absence, uh, which is kind of harrowing, that that there's an absence of uh, of those. But then we could go on to baby sucks because oh, because yes. baby Please. sucks preaches a kind of love that is perhaps at least a potential way of moving towards a more positive love, and that is uh, baby sucks in beloved uh, she preaches in the clearing, and. Uh, I'll read a few lines from oh, this. Oh, please. That's, a, that's one of the best passages ever. Yeah, it's one of my favorite passages, if you, if you can find that. And, yes. Uh, and quote. Um, uh, when, when she is enacting like, uh, like some kind of um, uh, channeling the spirit of the community. Yes, yes. And she preaches to other African-American people. Um, in this here place, we flesh flesh that weeps, laughs, flesh, flesh that dances on bare feet in grass. Love it, love it hard. Yonder they do not love your flesh, they despise it. They don't love your eyes, they'd just as soon pick them out. No more do they love the skin on your back. Yonder they slay it. And oh my people, they do not love your hands. Those they only use, tie, bind, chop off, and leave empty. Love your hands. Love them. Raise them up and kiss them. Touch others with, with them. Pat them together. Stroke them on your face, because they don't love that either. You got to love it. You. Yeah, that is amazing, yes. Oh, I love that passage so much. Uh, so tell us about that. What's what's going on there? Well, baby sucks. I think uh, wants wants them and herself also to to love to love oneself. She's preaching about love for oneself, for one's own body. As a slave, you're viewed as an object. You're owned by someone who claims he has the right to use your body. And this makes it very difficult to love yourself as a person. For you're not seen as a person, you're not treated as a person, but rather as an object. And Baby Sykes talks about caring for oneself, but also for others, as she urges her listeners to touch others with the hands. Yeah, yeah indeed. So, so there is the sense that... Um, uh, that it, which I suppose uh, evokes that which uh, Paul D and Sete talk about earlier about ownership, that they don't own themselves. She doesn't own her children. 
So it's almost like uh, she, how can she love them, but she doesn't even own them if, if they're not hers, right? Uh, they belong to uh, to the slaveholders, right? To the masters. Uh, she doesn't even own herself. Uh, so so she, she's not her own ownership, right? Uh, so, so there is a this kind of toxicity of ownership that uh, permeates love, like everything is about owning something as an object. So, so she does what, how she perceives her children, uh, others, everything, even herself. Uh, so that that's in a sense uh, that possession to possess something to own it is uh, is really making love toxic. Right? Uh, so, so here, baby sucks is trying to perhaps uh, liberate them from that, uh, from, from that sense of uh, ownership. Uh, but at the same time, uh, telling them you need to own yourself, you, you need to love yourself, which is a different kind of thing. Uh, and and uh, what do you think? Why does she chop up the body in the past? Why not just say love yourself, love your body? Why does she? Uh, she really. Uh, you know, it's almost like a drawing of a human body where she is saying, oh, well, love your skin, love this, love your, uh, all, all these things. Why does she chop up the body and emphasize uh, different parts? I think this at least partly has to do with, with um, uh, how slaves were treated. I mean, they backs were, their backs were flayed. Um, their hands were used for work. They're not again. They're not seen as whole persons. Complete pe people. Complete yes. people. Yeah, they're seen as objects to use, and objects can be chopped up in parts. That's right. In a sense, you could uh, you could cut off someone's ears because you don't need them to you know hear anything because they are just use their hands or whatever. It's just the not. Um, uh, I I think there is a, there is a part in um, in that quote which uh, I always uh, ask students what they think. Where is this emphasis on the liver? Like love your liver. I mean, who says that? I love you. Okay, I, you, you understand hands, you understand heart, you understand head, you understand skin, all those all those parts which are more symbolic, like in that way we recognize. But then the liver kind of stands out. Uh, like, why would you love your liver? And what does it even mean to love your liver? The dark, dark liver. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Yes. The dark, and dark the beat, liver. And the beating heart. Love that too. Yeah, that's really interesting. Why why the liver? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's kind of an odd, yeah. It is odd, yeah, but it's maybe it's it's like really love your whole body. Love your the whole self, even those parts that you don't think of daily. Love love yourself. That's right. I mean the part, the parts that don't seem to be immediately useful uh, oh, or, or symbolic yeah, or yeah. 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 Uh, uh, at least uh, maybe we don't see them as uh, useful. I did uh, ask uh, the students this question lo lots of times, and it was interesting to me to discover. I don't know if you encountered this before, but uh, uh, the idea that in some cultures, 
uh, 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 let's say uh, liver is used actually symbolically to uh, as as an organ of love, as an organ of passion and compassion. Uh, uh, and uh, of course, like from what we recognize from this Anglo, I think maybe that's not kind of, that doesn't come across that clearly, but. Uh, 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 some students who know uh, Arabic told me that they uh, that the word kebed, uh, the liver, uh, can be used in uh, phrases quite symbolically, and uh, and I've heard of other cultures where that is possible. So so it's interesting. Maybe it has to do with um, the origins of the slaves, or maybe some culture that they brought that that has some symbolic meaning as well. That's I don't know if you encountered. Possible. I haven't encountered it, but it's definitely possible, I think. Morrison, I mean, she read widely. She did a lot of research for her for her novels, and, and uh, it, it's very, very likely that she, that she came across something that like that. That she came across something like yeah. that and, and incorporated, yeah, yeah because yeah. there is the... Uh, obviously, these slaves didn't... Uh, appear out of nowhere. They they came from somewhere, and they obviously have some kind of uh, culture. Yeah. Uh, so that was a bit uh, about baby sacks. Uh, do you? Um, uh, what's what's next? Uh, what can we talk about next? Uh, well, is it romantic uh, love or what? <laughs> well. I guess we have to talk about romantic love when we talk about love, because that's, of course, Please part, of, part yes. of love. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe yes. what we think of first. Um, there is a kind of romantic love in, in The Beloved, too. And, but it's, it's, it's a love that has matured into some kind of middle-aged, everyday love and care. Um, Paul D., um, who walks from the South to, to Ohio uh, and, and Seth is home, um, they used to work, or they were slaves in the same, the same farm. Um, Seth was married to another man, um, and Paul D. was a friend of theirs. But this then develops into some kind of love between Seth and, and uh, Paul D. That's right. He, there is that. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. He, he, yeah, he he comes to to Ohio and to to Seth's house when the house is haunted by um, this ghost of the dead baby. Um, but towards the end of the novel, um, this goes hand in hand with how the house one twenty four Bluestone Road, uh, how how that house changes. From being a haunted house, determined by the dead child, it changes into just a normal house. And I quote again here, unloaded 124 is just another weathered house needing repair. End of uh, quote. Yeah. Okay. So the house, towards the end of the novel, reflects some kind of normality, which also seems to enter Seth and Paul D's life together. He comes back to her because he leaves her for a period when, when he learns about the infanticide. But then she, then he returns to her. And you can understand that they continue uh, their life together. 
Yes, that's and right. In- and, and we're going to repair the house together, right? Uh, yeah, that, that's, yeah. Uh, that's an act of care and love uh, that, yeah. uh, that you're repairing the house, you're yeah. building a future. Yeah. And the haunting has left the house. So it's just a normal house. Yes, the haunting. It's really interesting how uh, the romantic love drives the haunting. <laughs> Like, like yeah, the exorcism, yeah. the exorcism comes through. Uh, well, they have sex in the house and right, all those things. It's 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 a funny. I don't know. It's it's a little bit weird. I have to say, but uh, that kind of romantic kind of boost to the house, that injection of romantic love, is a little bit like exorcism. Yeah, but yeah, Paul this actually struggles. He fights with the house. <laughs> at, the, at the beginning of the, of the novel, and and it is after this fight that Beloved appears as a person. Before that, she was just a, a ghost haunting the house. Yeah. Yes, that's right. It's it's so funny. It's almost as if uh, stuff from legends, like you know, there's a hero coming in, slays the the monster, the ghost, whatever it is. Yeah, you know, yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> but then, of course, it comes back because it's not. It's not his to slay. It's it's hers to 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 uh, to deal with. You know, you know, an outsider cannot come in and uh, solve the problem because it's he doesn't know what the problem is uh, quite. Uh, so he is not intimately connected to the problem. She needs to solve it. Uh, she. Uh, uh, it's a it's it's a funny kind of con- connection between the love for children, parents, that filial love and the romantic love, how they, of course, the, the children are jealous, look for the, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and there's also, but there, there, there's too much if we go into that, but there's also this um, Paul D having sex with Beloved. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, this, <laughs> oh my God. Just, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So much. Uh, yeah, there's so uh, much. Yeah. I suppose the possessiveness there is when, what, what does she say, beloved, uh, when she is claiming Seti? She's like, like, she mine or something like that. It is yeah. kind of nasty voice. Right? Yeah. Uh, this is in the in the lyrical passages, I I suppose you mean. Um, That's right, yes. Yeah. 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 She mine. I, I can't find that right now. She yeah, mine. Yeah. She, yeah. Something like that. It's really, really possessive, that kind of ownership. Like, uh, I, I own her. And, yeah. Uh, I so, am beloved so, uh, and she mine. Yeah. And she mine. Something like that. Yes. That's right. Uh, so, uh, I suppose in Morrison generally, there's not a lot of romantic love, so so it's it's kind of interesting to see when it actually enters, what it does. But um, continue. What uh, what more do you want to say about? Um, well, in we, other novels, yeah. yeah, we can. Yes. Just in other novels, there are other kinds of love. In in Home, there's the love between brother and sister. Um, here, Frank Money, that's his name, saves his sister C from a doctor experimenting on her womb. And there's also the love of the women in their small rural home time, hometown. Um, their caring for C helps her heal. And there's love between friends, Nell and Sula in Sula, and Heed and Christine in the novel Love. And these friendships are often destroyed by men 
and particularly by relationships with men. But at the end, the characters come to realize that their their friendship was was indeed what should have mattered, not not the relationships with the men. Yes, there's uh, that, uh, that, that she's quite consistent in that way. You would say throughout her work uh, that that uh, what kinds of love she focuses on and uh, what she does. You mentioned that. Um, uh, the, because you wrote about place, right? Uh, and uh, and the, the love for places or spaces or how... Yes. What can yes. we say about that? That's not something that people tend to kind of be uh, see immediately. I think it's something that you really need to point out for, yeah, for people yeah. to actually see. Yes, right? yes. Um, I'm especially interested in the this... Paul D's journey when he when he travels from from Alfred Georgia to Cincinnati Ohio um, here I think Morrison portrays a love for the landscape in which he travels he escapes from imprisonment in Georgia and uh, travels on foot through the landscape to Cincinnati where Seth lives and I'm particularly fascinated by the way in which Morrison describes his love for the landscape as something that he loves despite not wanting to love it. He is a prisoner on the run, an outcast in a country in which he is treated in horrendous ways, yet he cannot resist loving the landscape. And I'll, I'll read a few quotes. Uh, could not help being astonished by the beauty of this land that was not his. He hid in its breath, fingered its earth for food, clung to its banks to lap water and tried not to love it. And then a bit later, he made himself not love it. And further on, anything could stir him and he tried hard not to love it. So he really struggles not to love this place. And you see the variation. First, he tried not to love the landscape. Then he made himself not love it. That is, he forces himself not to love it. And finally, he tried hard not to love it, suggesting that his attempts fail. So this repetition with variation stresses precisely how he cannot resist loving it, which emphasizes precisely his love for the landscape. Yeah, indeed, because that, that's uh, the love taking possession of you. Uh, you're, 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 it's it's a force which is not of your making. You don't decide it. So in in that way, it it is like Sete saying, "Okay, well, the love is thick. Uh, it's uh, I cannot control it. It's not mine to control. It, it just takes over me." Yeah, in some ways, that, uh, that, that is absolutely amazing about the. Uh, uh, Paul D's uh, love for the, for the landscape. Uh, is it more? Or? Yeah, yeah. He also um, he learns from a Native American how to read the landscape. And I'll I'll read a passage again. Follow the tree flowers, he said. The the Native American. Follow the tree flowers, he said. Only the tree flowers. As they go, you go. You will be where you want to be when they are gone. So he raced from dogwood to blossoming peach. When they thinned out, he headed for the cherry blossoms, then magnolia, chinaberry, pecan, walnut, and prickly pear. 
At last, he reached a field of apple trees whose flowers were just becoming tiny knots of fruit. So the flowers guide Paul D. through the terrain. And this too, I think, can be related to love. There's a bond between Paul D. and the vegetation, and he learns to read it. And the vegetation helps him, albeit not actively, but rather through the plants, just being what they are, and Paul D. being receptive to them. And again, we could relate this to, to Toni Morrison, the author Toni Morrison. I studied her manuscripts for my PhD dissertation, and uh, her working material for Beloved included notes where she had listed various plants and noted to herself, it seems, that she planned to find out how and when various kinds of trees blossom along the eastern seaboard. And I think this, this testifies to her thorough research and her careful handling of details when writing. Um, and it could also be understood as a kind of love for her texts and for her readers. She wants her readers to have to have the best <laughs> the best text she can she can. Yes, this kind of all encompassing love. Like it, it permeates everything. It's it's ever not just uh, single between let's say humans or whatever. Uh, uh, really, it needs to be exist at all levels, as you in a sense listed in the beginning, like covering all bases. Yeah, 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 and I think especially the. The natural world, it, it's quite prominent in, in many of the texts, but it hasn't been very widely studied. But now there's a book by Emisa Wardy titled Tony Morrison and the Natural World, an Ecology of Color. And this was published in 2021. 2021. Um, and I think it, this really fills a gap because I think in... Morrison's work, there, there is strong love for the natural world that is worth emphasizing and worth extraordinary Sartre in relation to all the other uh, things she she writes about. Is it in other novels as well? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, Tar Baby. We have, Tar Baby, uh, okay. Mm. Yeah. I have it well, You have all the books on your desk. I have <laughs> almost all the books. I have all the books. I don't know if I have all, them, all of them here right now. But yes, um, uh, in Tar Baby, the, the natural world merges with a mythical realm in which mythical horsemen living in, in the uninhabited parts of, of the fictional island she writes about. Um, uh, and then we have the paradise, uh, stunning scenes in an Oklahoman landscape, Song of Solomon presents Milkman's learning to know the landscape of his ancestors. And his being in the landscape, his bodily experience of the place is, is crucial for his uh, kind of connection to his uh, ancestors. Oh, that is that's so nice. Because, uh, uh, you know, when I was thinking, uh, when you mentioned this uh, theme or that, that possibility, it's like trying to... Of course, in some some works, it's it's clear that you could, you could find it. Uh, but the same, especially in urban landscapes, uh, is that you know how does it work in the urban landscape uh, where uh, there is no nature? What is uh, 
but it's the loft of places or spaces there. That's that's a tough one, I suppose. Like and, it's easier well, to, to see uh, it when it comes to nature, but so, yeah. yes. But you know what? 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 First, the first book I read by Morrison was Jazz, and that is set in well, it it isn't spelled out, but it's set in in Harlem, New York, uh, and I would say there's a an immense love for for the city, and you have the city like dancing with its inhabitants. And that really attracted me, drew me to 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 Morrison. The, that kind of bond between uh, between people and and the city. So the, there's a love for for the city as well. Oh, that's that's beautiful. I was hoping that uh, that you, that you would uh, say that uh, I have a kind of vague memory of some of this, but. The, it, uh, just all, all you're saying about this love to the landscape, uh, just the setting as such, is uh, a really speaking uh, like really deeply to me because I'm a sucker for a good setting as a writer. You know, I think uh, the setting is extremely important, uh, and uh, I tend to nag a lot about uh, the proper treatment of the setting, not as decoration, not as uh, uh, just uh, uh, you know, an interior where something takes place, but rather as an organic part of uh, of the story itself, and that's something I, I've loved in in Morris in general. I think you know a lot more than I do. Uh, you've studied it deeply, so I'm sure you know a lot <laughs> about it and different things, perhaps sometimes. Uh, yeah, yeah. And- so, what is uh, uh, is is beloved your favorite novel by Morrison, or is there another maybe? Well, I, I, I suppose I suppose uh, um, you have to love beloved. I mean, that's yeah, a yeah, masterpiece. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I also have another favorite, A Mercy. This, I yes, I think it, this is really a gem. I, I think uh, it's set in the late seventeenth century. Um, the main character, or perhaps one of the main characters, is Florence. And she's a young slave girl who was accepted as payment for a debt. She's taken from her mother and placed at a farm owned by Jacob Vark, who's a colonizer, a trader and a farmer of European descent. Um, and as Florence experiences this, uh, when she was taken from, from her mother, um, she, in her words, her mother asks the men to take Florence alone instead of both of them in order to keep her little boy, Florence's brother. So the mother wants Jacob Vark to take just her daughter. And I can read how, how Florence describes this so I quote her there. Um, Sir, saying he will take instead the woman and the girl, not the baby boy, and the debt is gone. Amin Yamai, um, Florence refers to her mother as Amin Yamai, which is Portuguese for, for my mother. Amin Yamai begs no. Her baby boy is still at her breast. Take the girl, she says. My daughter, she says. Me, me, 
Sir agrees and changes the balance due. End of quote. And this remains a trauma for Florence. She lives with this constant feeling that she was rejected by her mother, who stayed with the little boy. In the novel's last chapter, however, Florence's mother's perspective is given. And it turns out that her asking Jacob to take Florence was an attempt to secure a better life for Florence. And I think this, this too could be understood as an act of love. She, she says, or writes, we don't know, I saw the tall man see you as a human child. And um, the mother herself is taken advantage of sexually by, by, by her owner. So she, it is implied, at least, that that is what she wanted to save uh, Florence from, from experiencing. So, again, we have a mother's love for her daughter, uh, which yeah. leads to... Her daughter just feeling rejected by her her mother and not being taken care of. So this this complicated kind of love again. And it's as, uh, um, it's, uh, there are these things which, uh, in a sense, you recognize as uh, as a writer things that haunt you. That in a sense you feel that although, even if you've uh, dealt with them really deeply in. Uh, in some work, and I, I don't think any of us would say that she hasn't done it, like in uh, any of the books, that uh, it's almost like she, she really paints that picture, it, she keeps coming back to it, like there's more nuance to it, there's more to say. So so that in itself is, is a form of haunting, uh, which um, you keep dealing with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then, on Jacob's farm, Florence falls deeply in love with a blacksmith. At this time, in the 1690s, slavery was not yet racially fixed. Uh, and the blacksmith is a free black man who visits the farm to do some work for, for Jacob. So he's not a slave. And I think this, this is part of her... This is important for her, I think, because she sees this free man um, talking to, to her owner as an equal. Um, and then they have a, a relationship. Uh, then the blacksmith leaves the farm when his job is done. Uh, but so, so there we have this romantic love or infatuation. But when Jacob's wife falls ill, Florence is tasked to undertake a journey to the blacksmith in order to ask him to cure Rebecca from smallpox, they, they think he has this capacity and he, he does something with the blood <laughs> so that he can cure people. Um, when, when she arrives at the blacksmith's house, it turns out that he has taken care of a little boy. And of course, Florence's childhood trauma comes back to her. Once more, she is deeply jealous of a little boy. And when what then happens is that Florence injures and potentially kills the blacksmith and the little boy. So again, we have this extreme violence and perhaps even killing 
interwoven with love. And I suppose uh, the, it's, it's the same as before, the novel, uh, it, there is no straightforward approval, it's more like, uh, or condemnation, it's, it's more like the exploration of it. Uh, uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morrison neither approves of nor condemns this, this act in, in the text. And uh, I think, again, this, this can be understood as a kind of love for her characters and... Uh, and for all those who suffered similar things in the real world. So uh, when, when we, right. yeah, mm. when we get no, to this ahead, point, yeah, yeah, we have we have a we have a picture. When we, this is at towards the end of the novel, and we have a picture of who Florence is, what she has experienced. So, to some extent, we can understand why this happens. It's not that we approve of it, but. We have the background. Um, we are given the context, her personal life, the historical and social circumstances that led to these violent actions. And yeah. Yeah. it turns out, this novel, it's, it's, it's told from various perspectives and from various characters are telling their, their sides of the story. It turns out towards the end that Florence's story is is her writing on, on the walls and the floors of a house, an abandoned house. Um, and I think this, this could be understand, understood as Morrison giving Florence a voice in the world of the novel, but also Morrison writing Florence into literary history. And again, an act of love, I think. Yes, definitely. I mean, that's why she got the Nobel Prize, to, uh, like the as a kind of gift to to the African American community of the the, 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 give, the giving of history uh, and this kind of intimacy through through history, uh, the the love. Indeed, maybe the Nobel Committee didn't mention love, but I think it's uh, kind of implied because uh, all of us who have read it, we, we understand that's what's going on here, right? This is uh, an act of uh, uh, love and compassion, not uh, uh, simple data research, things like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then also in, in the Mercy, we have um, the character Sorrow, yet another troubled character. She, she has lived all her life at sea. And she has a deeply troubled relationship to land. And she also has an invisible friend. Um, she is seen by other characters as potentially mentally ill and perhaps as having some kind of cognitive impairment. And she is taken advantage of sexually by men, the deacon, one of, being one of them. When her first child is born, it is potentially drowned by Lena, who is a Native American, also working on the farm. She has a very strong bond to, to, to nature, she to relate back to, to, to the importance of nature. It is very significant in, in a mercy as well. Um, but when, when Sorrow is about to give birth to her second child, she goes to the riverbank alone to avoid having her baby taken from her once more. And she remembers 
Paulina put it in the river, saying that it was stillborn, but Florence remembers that her child yawned. On the riverbank, when she's giving birth, uh, two men who also work on the farm notice what is going on and they help Sorrow with the delivery. And for Sorrow, this is a turning point in her life. She changes her name from Sorrow to Complete. And this, uh, yeah, I think it suggests hope for new life and a focus on the future rather than on the past. And what, what changes her? What changes her name from Sorrow to Complete is, I think, a mother's love for her child. So the new, new, new being, new identity requires a new name. <laughs> Names are really, really interesting in Morrison's work. It's, I mean, you could, you could probably write a, a dissertation about the use of names in her work. So, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, healing requires perhaps a new name, and uh, yeah. Yes, uh, definitely, Sunday, it's, uh, 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 especially if you have names like, uh, you know, Paul, A, B, C, D, <laughs> you know, like this latest, where everybody's called Paul, uh, which is the the master's name, the slave owner's name, uh, and they're basically just numbered uh, or, or letter A B C D. And so, uh, yeah. it, it's just so uh, so awful. Uh, like you're, uh, uh, I don't even know how to interpret that. How you know what what goes through someone's mind that you uh, you named it by your own name, uh, and it's it's almost. Worse than um, than giving them a number, than than uh, you know one of those stories where people are just giving numbers to someone is like B one or like uh, one two three or whatever. Uh, it's almost worse because it ties you so intimately always uh, someone who uh, uh, who who needs you just for the for the usefulness or for work, for production, for, for his commodity and not for anything that you're worth uh, beyond that. Uh, um, so it seems to me that, of course, I mean, you've shown that love is everywhere in, in Morrison's novels, right? It, it, it is. It is, yeah. it is everywhere, I think, and in various forms. And, coexisting with its discontent. And of course, I have to think of the name of your pod, Love and Its Discontents. Um, uh, it's, it's combined with control, violence, possessiveness. And Morrison herself has commented on love in her novels in an interview. I will quote, I will quote from it. And she says, Actually, I think all the time that I write, I'm writing about love, or its absence. I think that I still write about the same thing, which is how people relate to one another and miss it or hang on to it, or are tenacious about love, about love and how to survive. End of quote. And I think, yeah, I think I agree with her. <laughs> I mean, uh, it takes our, really, it's permeated by love, its discontents and its absence. And uh, 
She challenges our views of what love is and what counts as love. She points to the significance of understanding the context before judging both the individual context and the social and historical context. And she urges us to ponder ethical questions that have no clear answers. And that often, and that often, well, they pivot around love in various forms. Uh, I think the quote by Morrison sums it up so uh, beautifully, uh, the way that uh, uh, this seems to be almost kind of a possession with love, or obsession with love as a theme, uh, that uh, it is something that, uh, in a sense, you have to revisit over and over and over in order to, to, to know uh, to learn uh, things about, you, know, uh, you have to kind of work at love. You have to work with love, uh, uh, and and it's it's such a such a mystery because uh, uh, no matter how much we write about love, how much we think about love, but also because I mean, love is a part of who we are, and you know, we, we we in a sense know what it is, but we also don't know what it is. That it's almost like an alien force, like like beloved. It just the way it possesses Paul D, possesses Sethi, possesses everyone, I, it's, uh, it's simultaneously you and not you, because you're not really in charge of it. And, uh, and I think that's uh, uh, Morrison's um, consistency in coming back to it and trying to explore another angle and another angle and another depth, uh, another kind of darkness, uh, is is a testimony to this. Yes, yes. Definitely. Uh, Alice, uh, thank you so much for today. This was really wonderful. I appreciate it so much. Uh, as I said, uh, it's uh, my favorite writing, my one of my absolute favorite authors, uh, and uh, such a pleasure to have an opportunity to talk about it with someone like you. Thank you, Adnan. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.